it's like it's like having blinders in a Kentucky Derby, right? White horses have blinders. Like once you have that purpose, everything else fades to the side. And so I think it's that's so paramount that if you have that purpose, everything else will be driven by that. So powerful, man. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans with Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our amazing podcast. This is where we reveal the top 1% of business concepts and systems and processes to scale eight and nine figure businesses. We interview top level eight and nine figure CEOs, business owners, and amazing TEDx speakers like David Meltzer. We got Nick Cavuto, Pascal Bachman, and so many others. And if you feel like this resonates with you, please share this with your friend, your family, and make sure you impact them as well. Because we're trying to spread the message on those that do not know how to scale eight, nine-figure businesses and talking higher-level business concepts. So, guys, remember, enjoy the episode and be uncommon if you can. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And guys, we have a very special guest on today. He is the chief investment officer of a mosaic family wealth, which manages about $1.2 billion. But much more than that, we're sitting there and going, realizing that today's world, there's ups and downs, craziness, lefts and rights. And we're sitting there, we want to tinker with things. We want to tinker with, with our investments. We want to move and we want to adjust and we want to optimize. And we want to mitigate loss. And we want to say, hey, you know what? We're, we're realizing Bitcoin's just losing and we're seeing all the real estate's going on and there's a lot of mayhem and there's uncertainty but well, how do you build certainty and uncertainty well that's the reason why i have this next guest on i'm very excited about diving into his background now like i said he leads the firm's investment team in shaping the firm's investment philosophy and strategy for client portfolios. His responsibility includes portfolio management, investment research, and market strategy. So he is an expert at this conversation here. He also serves on Mosaic's leadership team, helping to guide the strategic direction of the firm. Please welcome Chief Investment Officer, my friend, John Fisher. How are you doing today, John? Christian, doing terrific. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm excited about diving into this because there is, like I mentioned, uncertainty. And let's just dive with this because... It is you, you and I know investments, human behavior, human psychology, and I love to just talk a little bit about like what you're doing right now. Top, I mean, you're you're right there on the front line, dealing with these individuals, doing the research, etc. Uh, what are you seeing in an uncertain time? How do you build certainty? And how to? What's your perspective on on the lay of the land right now, man? Christian, I think right now it's really important because you know you look at financial media, you turn on TV or pull up a newspaper article, and and they'll take you in a lot of different directions about what we should be focusing on. And, you know, that you talked about human psychology, the, the brain is trained to, to look for answers. Like you ask a question to look for an answer. So if you see a question on the markets, you tend to like to follow that question. And the, the most powerful part, you know, it's been said that quality questions yield a quality life. And so what we're really imploring our clients is to ask the right questions, right? There's so much we don't know right now. There's so much we can't know, right? When is inflation going to subside? When is this recession going to happen? Or is it, is it going to happen? Um, and, and, and the fact is, we don't know that, you know, unless you're in, 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 as I say, unless you're in Putin's inner circle, we don't know when the Ukraine-Russia war will end. Um, we don't know when this COVID pandemic will end. We're still seeing shutdowns in China. There's so many things we don't know. So, so to say, when will inflation come down? We just can't know. And so one of the things we're really talking about from our clients, and we can address some of the specific topics, but one of the things we've really imploring our clients, I wrote, I wrote about this earlier this year with our clients, was um, asking the right questions. And it's not how long will inflation moderate or when will it peak, even though hopefully we've already seen that peak. Um, it's, you know, do we have a plan for this? Um, do, we have a, do, we have a, do we have a plan? And did our plan incorporate times like these, times like in bear markets that we see? 
And then the question bigger, you know, more than inflation, more than recession, more than stocks are down, they're going to close, um, is looking at your plan and said and saying, does my plan still work? Christian, because at the end of the day, we're here. Why are we investing? We're investing to achieve our financial goals, to live a life of significance. And at the end of the day, if we're able still to do that, that's the most important question we can ask. And the most important answer is, is can we still live the life and achieve the goals that we set out to live? If the answer is yes, then all the other elements are not nearly as important, nor do you have as much control over. Let me ask you this because, you know, you, you, you mentioned it, sticking to the plan. And one of the things that, and, and I've had this conversation because it's a human behavior, human psychology, when we see the plan logically, we go, okay, that makes sense. But then when we start seeing our stocks and our assets decreasing at an exponential level, that emotion starts kicking in, right? Yep. And there's been a lot of research on when someone makes money, they, they're happy, they enjoy it. But in fact, when they lose money, it's almost like three or four times they feel the pain, that feel that emotion much more. And I found that very interesting when I was reading that. And obviously, they go into much more depth and so forth. So it's, it's, it's a lot more painful. And so, John, I want to ask what boundaries, what processes, what systems, what things do you do to make sure that they are sticking and making sure that, hey, you know what? That emotion is not going to get involved. We're going to stay with the logic. We're going to stick with the plan. What does that look like? What are certain systems or boundaries do you put in place for these clients or for your investors? Yeah, Christian, I think it's a great question. There's a lot there. First of all, you know, to your point, you talked about everyone has a plan until these go on. It makes me think of the Mike Tyson quote, right? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Uh, and, 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 and figuratively speaking, we felt that, you know, in the, in the investment world in this year, as the market's down 15, 20%. Um, and I think importantly, most importantly, think about that is um, to know that we are all emotional with our own money, right? So you can say, oh, you know, John's chief investment officer, like he's got it all figured out. Well, no, I, I, I've got to figure out for other people. But for myself, I'm just as emotional with my money as you are. And so knowing that that's just part of the human behavior, then we can start to say, okay, we all have this challenge. How do we go about, and you hit the nail on the head, putting systems and processes in place to help protect us from ourselves, so to speak. Because oftentimes we're our worst enemy when it comes to investing. And the way I think about it, Christian, that, that really helps me um, focus on the right things is I think about, I saw this analogy, um, you know, I wrote about this a couple of years ago, and it is, is, is really uh, time relevant to think about the World Cup, um, is there's, there's a study that looks at soccer goalies, you know, and there's a tendency in, in markets like this to say, don't just stand there, do something, right? We've got to do something. And that, that's bore out of the fact that, Christian, most of your life, the harder you work, the more successful you are. And so you tend to think that that same application, which works in most places in life, will also work in investing. And unfortunately, it's one of the few places where the harder you work is not necessarily, you don't get more necessarily the harder you work. In fact, sometimes you can get less. And there's a study about soccer goalies that looked at penalty kicks of 400 elite soccer goalies. Because statistically, what was the best place for the goalie to stand? Or you know, to dive left, dive right, or stand in the middle to give them the best chance of stopping the penalty kick. 400 penalty kicks, elite soccer goalies. And the, the position that given themselves the best chance to stop the penalty kick was actually staying in the middle or what you could say, doing nothing. Now, Christian, I like guessing games and I value courage over correct. So I'll just, I'll throw it out there for you. What percentage of the time, those 400 penalty kicks, do you think the, the goalies st stood in the middle? 10%, 20%. What would you say? That's a really good guess. I, I would have guessed higher. I, I don't know. I, I, I was surprised by the answer. And I certainly didn't get it right. The number was 6%. 6% of the time, soccer goalies stood in the middle. In other words, 94% of the time, 
these soccer goalies chose a suboptimal decision to give them the best chance of stopping the ball. Why? Because to your point, the, 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 it's loss aversion. The pain of losses feel multiple times more worse than the benefit of gains. And so the soccer goalies basically chose to dive left or right because they said the pain of getting it wrong by diving left or right is less than the pain of standing there and doing nothing. Even though the, the standing there gives them the best chance of stopping the ball. And Christian, you can't say these soccer goalies don't have the right incentives, just like investors. The soccer goalie wants to stop the ball. First of all, they want to win. They want to help their team win. They want to get their new, they're playing for the next contract. They're playing for incentive deals. They have all the right incentives to want to do the, the best thing, give them the best chance of stopping the ball. And if they choose wrong, 94% of the time. And so that's an alignment with the investors. The investors have all the right incentives to get it right, but it's that action bias. Soccer goalies have that bias towards action. I have to do something. Well, investors have that same bias. And famed investor, uh, the late John Bogle said, you know, most of the time people say, don't just stand there, do something. But 99% of the time, it really should be, don't do something, just stand there. I love this analogy and I love what you said there because, and, and this is why it's so funny to me because psychology and then like logic, right? Logic says, okay, hey, statistically shown, you are known. And this is a principle, right? It doesn't matter if you go left or right, statistically shown, it's like, hey, if you stay in the middle, you will more likely by like a large margin that you will actually prevent more, more goals. However, though, because of human psychology, we like to get all emotional and we actually disregard all that, all that principle, all that thing that will test, stand the test of time. So my, my question, and I think you really exemplify this tremendously in, in with, your, with your investors and the people that you've talked to, if we know that's true, which you just said it is, then how do we prevent ourselves? What systems or processes? Are there certain things? Or is it more of helping just, you know, when you're talking to your investors, when you're talking to your clients, when you're talking to maybe even just the population out there or speaking engagements, what do you do to help them say, hey, you know what, let's take a little bigger perspective on what's going on? Because nobody knows the future and we really can't even, and I've known this, nobody really can, we can anticipate, but with the past um, information in the S&P or whatever, we can't really guarantee uh, whatever the future looks like. We can have an idea, but still because of the, the dynamics of the stocks and et cetera, there's a lot that goes into it. And so we can't actually, you know, um, forecast a really solid future. So help me understand that a little bit. Yeah, Christian. So I think to your point, what do, what do clients do? What do we do as investors? It really is about having a coach, right? We all need someone. Because again, as I said, I'm emotional with my own money. I can tell you how to not be emotional with your money, but it comes down to it, I'm emotional with my money. So how do I check that? It's like the element of like when you're in a, in a, in a bad place to say like, the, you, what you often say to yourself is not, is not the greatest thing, right? And so they say, well, the trick is to say, what would you say to a close friend? Because when you answer, answer the question, what would I say to a close friend? You get it out of your own brain, you're more objective. Well, that's what a coach does for you. And a financial coach, what we provide for our clients is to be a sounding board that is unbiased towards giving them a, and saying, well, okay, I realize you wanna go look at this cryptocurrency, which maybe not at this current time, right? Um, but, or, or this speculative investment. And the coach's job is to say, well, no, well, let's go back to the plan. Does this align with our plan or not? And if it doesn't align with our plan, then that probably shouldn't be a fit. And I really think that's the value of a coach in any part of life is to help make you stay on the track, on the focus towards the, what goal you're trying to achieve. And then Christian, in terms of processes, I always think about, uh, again, tricks that are gonna help me 
do what I actually want to do, right? Like if you want to work out in the morning, put your clothes right by the bed so you have less friction between what you what you want to do, right? And, and put the candy bars along far away so you have more friction between the things you don't want to eat, right? Um, when it comes to investing and, and how you achieve this, um, there's, a, there's a term called myopic loss aversion, uh, which just talks about the pain of, of losses. And, the, and that, again, we, we talked about that you feel losses more than gains. Well, that's a technical term. What does that really mean? Well, there was a study that looked at two different groups of investors. They both started with a 70-30 portfolio, 70% stocks, 30% bonds. One group looked at their portfolio monthly, and one group, of their port one group looked at their portfolio once a year. The group that looked at it monthly, their portfolio over time went from a 70-30 portfolio to a 40-60 portfolio. The group that looked at it once a year actually was only that held strong at their 70-30 portfolio. Well, why is that? Well, it's the group who looked once a month was the more often you look, the more likely you're going to see losses. And whether it's whether it's the average Joe client, whether it's me, the more time, the more chances I see losses, the more my stomach's going to churn. And the more my stomach churns, the more likely I am to make a bad decision. And so the key is actually people say, oh, I follow the markets every day. I'm like, you have to be gentle around saying like that is might not be in your best interest. Sometimes the less you know, the better. And I analogize this as a metaphor of saying like uh, giving blood. Like I love giving blood because of the, the value of providing, helping other people who truly need it. Um, but I know there's a reason why I'm in finance, not in medicine. Because if I see that needle go in, I'm out, right? Like I just can't stomach seeing the needle go in. So what do I do? When that needle goes in, I look away, right? I don't watch the needle go in because I know if I watch the needle go in, this is gonna be the last time that I give blood. And so for investors, it's actually, especially in down times, you know, looking away or not looking at your portfolio can actually be very good. And as I say, if your investment time horizon, you know, if you're going to retire tomorrow or next week or next month, maybe you don't look away, but actually maybe you do because your portfolio is allocated properly. But if you have a 15, 20 year time horizon, this bear market, you're going to see three more bear markets in the next 15 years on average. So if you have a 15, 20, 25 year time horizon, looking away can be the best thing for you because in the, in the current time frame, looking at it more frequently is only going to cause, your, cause harm to you. See, and coming back and see, and this is why it's so interesting right now, because the evolution of the, the, the market right now, there is information that's very available. It used to not be. It used to be kind of behind a paid wall and only very few, very, very selective. But now the information is very prevalent. Now it's a matter of, like you mentioned, the coach. That's why it's so important to have certainty. Someone that's been through the ups and downs, the, the dot com, the 2008, you know, even COVID situation when, when the market lost almost like 40% very quickly, right? Certain situations that happen, it's like, okay, hey, we've gone through this and we're able to weather the storm because i already have this data over here to say hey this is what we do in the future because we know consistency right and certainty now i want to bring this up because like you mentioned the 70 30 split where hey every time we touch something we're constantly making wrong decisions we're constantly it's often emotional something i learned and i want to get your perspective on this because um i used to trade stocks um daily and this was like when i was 21 22 I never really was that good at it however though what taught me was the principles and i remember this one individual that told me when you lose three trade stocks in a row go take a walk because you start realizing that when you lost three times in a row, um, then you start thinking emotional and you those losses become even bigger, the fourth and fifth and sixth trade. And I found that very accurate. And that, that taught me very quickly on how to apply that same principle to other things. And what you're basically saying as well, every time we're seeing it daily in and out, and you know, there's another information in the crypto and this new business opportunity, et cetera, all these experts are saying whatever. And I, I wanna ask you, 
really about you know how to um, when you're having these conversations uh, because coming back to like your your analogy with goalie right but I feel bad for a lot of investment advisors like people like the people that you work with because so many clients come to them and say well we know that you should just be standing in the middle right that goalie right investment advisor like let's all just stay still but they they get this this um, this push from their clients to do something. We got to do something. And it's sad. And I, I know some, some investment advisors, they're like, well, I'll do a few things, but we really need to stick with the plan. And I, I want to loop back in regards to what you said here, success versus significance, because that's really what it comes down to. It's not just about building wealth just for your sake. And I love that approach. Where, where do you think that came from in, in your journey? Yeah, and Christian, that's that's part of our firm mission, right? And it's part of the reason why I joined the firm because um, I remember growing up as like looking at what I wanted to do and get in the investment world. It's like we all are wanting to make a difference in the world, right? I mean, Christian, you're hosting this podcast to make a difference in your audience's lives. And you know, I, you know, when you look at the, the 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 firm as a whole, a lot of this came from the larger dealers. Where in essence, what we like, what we were doing was helping uh, wealthy people get wealthy. And you know, once you realize a certain of your life you get to a certain part of your life you realize that and you know christian i remember there's a certain goal in life you know i thought the idea of having a million dollars net worth would be amazing like once i had a million like once my house you know add up all the value of your house your cars your your retirement accounts all that is worth like a million dollars like oh man i will have arrived right and then that day hits and you're like oh well the, the faucet's still leaking and i still have to go you know go to work today and nothing's different nothing's changed right like you think you're going to get there and there's, there's all sorts of studies that show happiness and money, the correlation between the two start to break down into $70,000. But what we found was like that really what we wanted to do, our mission is to unlock significance by providing clarity and purpose for wealth. And so what we really want to do is have conversations with clients about what are your values? What do you want to achieve in life? What lights you up? Like we all know those times when we've had purpose in life, right? When you have purpose in life, whatever you're doing doesn't feel like work. Right. And so what we found with our clients is really we want to have those conversations and we actually have a, a proprietary client experience process that really gets at, you know, for a spouse, like, what do you value? What are your values in life? What are your goals in life? And oftentimes we find the husband and wife actually have never talked about this. And it's it's funny how often those conversations lead to tears. And it's not funny at all. It's not really funny, but it's it's never ceases to amaze how often it happens. And it's the most powerful thing I think we do. Because it's what uh, money doesn't mean anything unless it's driven towards something that is, is going to light you up. It's going to give you purpose. And so we have clients, you know, we have one who talked about who is very successful CEO and, you know, they could leave a, a trust account to each of their grandkids. Well, instead of doing that, they said, you know what, our goal is to put each one of our kids through high school and college. So rather than give them a check, we want to put them through school and give them education. And I actually spoke with one of that client a few months ago and he actually is, his grandson's going to the high school that I, I went to. And he's like, oh yeah, my grandson, you know, he's a smart kid, he's getting his butt kicked, but he loves it. And he's, he's just being shaped into a man. And it's just, it's just, um, it's an amazing school. And by the way, I got my butt kicked in this school too. So I was aligned with him about like how hard it was, but like, but to see him glow about what that money was doing for his family, like it was the money had come alive. It'd been more than money it became a, a, a values aligned their values with their wealth and the bigger picture also with that christian is once you have that conversation it becomes less about stocks and bonds and market activity it's more about okay now that we know what your values are how do we align your 
portfolio and your plan to, with those values to achieve your goals, to truly live a life of significance. Well, I'm glad you mentioned this because let me ask you this, what is the difference in your, in your perspective and, and mosaic wealth, success versus significance? What is that difference? I think there's a lot of clients. Uh, I mean, most of our clients have had success and a lot of people, you know, Christian, I know your audience, most of your audience has been successful. Um, but to me, it gets that again, you know, there's, there's a, if you look at life, there's a lot of people who are financially, um, they're financially rich, but life poor, you know, they have a lot of money, but they're very unhappy. And if you go to third world countries, I've seen this, you know, heard documentaries about this, people are very financially poor, but life rich. And so those two don't necessarily have to like be tied together necessarily. And so what we're really talking about is, is looking about how do we give you a, 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 a rich life? Because finances don't necessarily create that. And you can do it without that. But also we know that with, if you have financial success, how can we use that to help you live a rich life? And that's really what we really focus on um, is not necessarily the return on investment. Return on investments are critical. Then you have to do that part, right? But there's a lot of people in our industry that can do the math, that can punch the numbers. But it's really about how do we turn that return on investment to return on life? And you don't get that unless you're asking the right questions. And going back to those questions, the, the comment about talking to our clients, husband and wife, about what their values are, once you get those values in place, then you can start to have a purpose with that money, that, with that success that you've achieved in directing it ways that make you feel fulfilled. And that feeling, that power of feeling like you're living a life that is a fulfilling, that you're giving to others, that you're, that you're serving your purpose. It's, that's why the, the tears comment was, it is so powerful. It's like, I've been there before where you feel like you've achieved something that really meant something. There's no higher, there's no higher and high in life. And so that's the part that, that that's the purpose that, of our firm that I think sets us apart is there's a lot of firms that can do the math, but if you don't ask the right questions, then you don't get the right answers about, about that client who wants to put their kids through high school and college, about that family who says, I, you know what, I can only get my family together when, they, when, we, when we're in Florida, right? Otherwise, it's really hard to get them all together. So maybe buying a home in Florida isn't the highest return on investment, but every time that they have that home that they, they can see their family four times a year, that, re that return on life for that home in Florida is immense. And so that's really about getting, if, again, if you don't ask the right questions up front about what you truly value, then you don't get those kind of answers about what a fulfillment, fulfilled life really would, really would look like to our clients. And I'm, I'm glad we're bringing this up, John, because we were talking offline before we jumped in. I know it's Thanksgiving and before this podcast comes out, um, you know, it, it may or may not be around that time. But I want to just talk a bit about this because I love what your perspective on it was. You said, hey, I'm going to go in there and buy a turkey because then that means I'm willing to depart away from $100, $200 for buying a turkey. It's already done, taken care of, because then you're able to spend more time and energy and effort with your kids your family, uh, the, your other people that are around you, instead of having to focus all your time and energy on a turkey. And I just love that perspective. Help us understand what that means. And you value family time more so than money. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. So yeah, no, that's correct. And Christian, it's an evolution, right? And, and I, as I was telling you offline beforehand, I grew up in a family where we did everything ourselves. Right? We wouldn't outsource anything. But as I think about that family, my parents were both raised by parents that lived through the Great Depression. And, and, our, and that, that shapes them. Right. And so they were shaped by that purpose. So you don't waste money. You certainly don't go hire someone to clean your house when you can do it yourself. 
But as, as you get older and you evolve, I've realized, you know, we, we have two valuable resources in life. We have time and we have money. And sometimes we use our money to free up our time. And sometimes we use our time to free up our money. And of course, when we're younger, we have a lot more time than we have money. So oftentimes we use our time. I'm cleaning my own house. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm using my time to free up my modest amount of money. But the older we get, the more we can say, I can, I can use my money to free up my time. And so in the case of the turkey, you know, I can cook, but you know, it's not my claim to fame. I, I do my, my day job a lot more than I do cooking. And so I just decided rather than spend three or four hours, um, you know, over a turkey that may not be all that good at the end, we don't know that the quality, I could outsource that for incremental 40 or $50 of having someone else prepare it. And those couple of hours can be spent with my family and my kids, as opposed to worrying and stressing over a turkey. And for me, that was a great trade-off. And I always say like, you know, a $5 hamburger, well, is that expensive or is it cheap? Well, to a person on the streets, a $5 hamburger is extremely expensive. To a person who, you know, has a second home, that $5 burger is cheap. So things are all relevant. What, what one person would be willing to free up their time for money, other might not. But I think that time versus money is really important because, you know, otherwise you hear that person, oh, I'm driving across town. I don't pay that $5 on an ATM fee so I can find my bank. Well, that's not a great trade-off if you really truly value, stop and think about what's the value of my time. And that's the perspective upon which this Thanksgiving, my turkey will not be made by me. And that makes sense, you know, but obviously you're able to spend a lot of time and uh, uh, with your family and your wife and your kids. And um, I, I want to ask, because it's, I think this is a very, very good conversation to have because mosaic wealth, you guys don't just come in and, you know, talk about the money and the, and the wealth. And that's, that's, yes, that's part of it. You want to help good return on investment, et cetera. But you talk about the, the goals and the values and really just that, that whole process. And one of the things, and I, I remember one of my mentors, he asked me, he told me, if you don't have values, you're basically making decisions based upon just emotion and you're not having some sort of like filtering process. Because when you come to a decision with your spouse, with your partner, with whoever it is, with your family, then you have values that you've established and you're able to filter that decision through your values and say, does it align or does it not? And then the values de determine really how you, you respond to that decision. Is that the way you look at it? I'd like to get your perspective on it. For sure. And I think about all the times in life where I didn't have that core mission, that core purpose. And I think when you say that, Christian, I think about a, a goal of mine uh, growing up was to run the Boston Marathon. And but I never was I wasn't serious about it for the longest time. Um, and so I spent my weeks, you know, hanging out with my friend, you know, your 20s, you're young, you're spending time hanging out with friends, going to bars, um, not doing the things, have not, not having the discipline. Um to achieve that goal because the, I, I did not decide that that goal was going to have to be, it was going to, that was going to have to, that was a, a core purpose, right? Like that, that doing that was, there's nothing more important, so to speak. Well, as a result, my life went all sorts of different directions of, of having fun. Uh, what I call maybe love, type one fun where you're out with your friends playing golf, but you're not really achieving the purpose that you, that you know that you want to achieve. Right. And for, for reasons that are much broader than this podcast, qualifying for the Boston marathon, being growing up more like a football player than a runner was just like epic goal. But once I hired a running coach, when we talked about the value of coach, right? Everyone thinks, oh, I can, I can invest on my own. I can see it on TV. Well, everyone thinks, oh, I can run. I'm, I know how to run. I don't need to hire a running coach. Well, once I hired a running coach and then started to put a, a stake in the ground about this, this is going to happen come hell or high water, then everything else fell aside. And I think if you don't have that core values, that core purpose, Christian, then 
you get, you get it's like a, it's like being stuck in the in the ocean. You get pushed by all every wave that comes by, versus when you have a purpose in life, you're standing feet in that uh, you know in the sand, and the waves are coming at you, but you're not moving. And I think that's when I think about purpose and value is if you don't have that, then you get pushed around by all sorts of things in life that aren't your core purpose. Why not, not what, you know, the reasons that you get pushed by things that push you in directions that are not where you honestly want to go. But the minute you establish your purpose and your value and you sit there and you realize, oh yeah, nothing would make me happier than to put my kids through or my grandkids through high school and college and know that I gave them a gift that lasted a lifetime. It's like, it's like having blinders in a Kentucky Derby, right? Why horses have blinders. Like once you have that purpose, everything else fades to the side. And so I think it's, that's so paramount that if you have that purpose, everything else will be driven by that. So powerful, man. So powerful. I love what you're saying here. And you mentioned something real quick, and I want to talk a little bit about this, pride and arrogance. Because when you came into going into being, you know, at Boston Marathon, you came in with humble, your humility, right? You said, okay, I don't know how to do this by myself. I need a coach, right? And that's, that shows, you know, massive humility. I want to talk in the investment world as well. Like some, maybe, maybe some circumstances you've seen where a client of yours or a client of your firms, there was pride and arrogance. You told them not to, you know, adjust, modify, maybe, you know, liquidate, whatever it was, whatever the situation was. And how later on it, you know, didn't turn out because of that pride and arrogance, because they didn't, they weren't humble. They didn't listen to, you know, individuals like yourself and listen to this podcast, et cetera. Yeah. And Christian, when I think about that, I actually think about more, I think more about relative, not clients, but actually the financial media and the, and, and what we hear from financial media. And I wouldn't say pride and arrogance. I would say overconfidence and trying to, to know what you can't know. And so one of the things we talked about inflation has been all the rage in the past two years. And I, I put a, I, I did a, uh, a presentation, client presentation on inflation looked at after the great financial recession of 08, 09, you can go back and look at all the paper clippings. And I can send you the slide that I have of some very, very intelligent people saying, all you did was provide the stimulus, low interest rates, inflation's coming, inflation's coming. In 08, 09, these are, these are experts in Wall Street Journal. And I have 10 different clippings that said inflation's coming. Well, what happened during the next decade? Inflation averaged 1.56%. Inflation never came. And yet all these experts said, this is what's coming. And you fast, fast forward to, you know, right now we're seeing inflation at high levels we haven't seen in 40 years. And they're saying, um, you know, so you different, have different pundits saying the Fed did this wrong, the Fed did that wrong. We should have done this, we should have done that. I, it's always important to know what you don't know and stay humble to your point, what you said, Christian. And the way I do that is I look back and I use this as an example. In December, 2020, the Fed comes out with an inflation forecast for next year. And they said in December 2020, for 2021, for last year, we expect inflation to come out at 1.9%. Now, they use in their inflation metric is the, the PCE. We won't get into it. All you need to know is that that metric came in at 5.9% that year. It came in triple what the Fed predicted. You're like, oh, the, that's because the Fed doesn't know anything, right? I looked this up because like, I'm fascinated by this, Christian. And again, I'm encouraged over correct. I looked up how many PhD economists the Fed has on staff. What would you guess? How many PhD economists does the Fed have? Maybe five. I would guess like maybe 30 or 50. They have 400 PhD economists. And Christian, I got a bachelor's degree. We're not talking about bachelor's degrees. We're talking about PhDs in the study of economics. And they were wrong by 3x on what inflation was. 
And by the way, go back to, this is one of my favorite, this is my favorite experiences that keeps me humble. Go back to December, 2020 and Google Wall Street 2021 predictions. I've done that. You couldn't find an inflation prediction in December, 2020, higher than like low threes. And that was the highest. And by the way, CPI, which is the consumer price index, that's one that most uh, consumers follow, was 7% for 2021. So even Wall Street was in the twos. And that the highest you could find was low three. And it came in at 7% of 2021. And so 400 PhD economists with their full-time job can be off by that much. Then who am I to say that I know where the market's going or any of those talking heads on TV? They don't. They simply can't. And it's a reminder that the, those experts get paid for predictions not to be right. And so that's those kind of, that kind of those data points are what help keep me humble to saying there's what I don't know which gets back to not asking questions that I can't answer with this. I don't know where inflation is going and there's no, there's no one else, but that's not a, it's not a sexy answer. But what that allows myself to do is if I can say that I don't know where inflation is going, then let's focus on the questions I should focus on, which is, does my, did my plan, did, was, was my plan constructed for bear markets like these? And, and even in this bear market, does my plan still work to live my life of significance to achieve my goals? John, man, you are just dropping some amazing bombs. And for those that are listening, I love what you just said there because you saw, you're talking 400 PhD, right? PhD, you know, doctorate individuals that know all this stuff. And they were off by three, three acts and they've been off on numerous different ways, but that's a really good example right there. And then also, like you mentioned, it's, it's an uncertainty. I like what you said, overconfidence, right? Definitely in the media. And for those that are listening, they should be aware of that, right? When they're hearing these predictions or expertise or you know whatever, you should be aware, like a big red flag that says basically, hey, they're overconfident. They don't know what they don't know. And like you mentioned, the more humble mindset of, hey, I don't know what the interest rates, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when the bottom is, right? Well, I don't know when the top is, what, et cetera, right? But do I know a plan? Do I know what strategy? Do I know how to implement the right processes and systems of the boundaries to ensure that I don't, you know, fall into the, the, the pivot of that emotional state? I think that's, that's, those are the right questions. Uh, I love what you're saying there. I want to ask kind of, because you mentioned, I want to loop on this because I, I love what you said. And I'm kind of going back and forth here, but you say money has no meaning unless we do something special with it. What does that mean for you? Where, where, because I love that quote. I thought that was awesome. Say one more time, Christian, for me. It says money has no meaning unless we do something special with it. We put meaning to it in, in our own way. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a saying that the secret of living is giving. And so it, it but different people are lit up by different things in their life. And by the way, in different seasons of life, you have different missions, different purposes, right? For a season of my life, running the Boston Marathon, qualifying for that as an overweight kid was my mission. That was the, what lit me up, right? That was what, and then that, but that, that shifts over time. And so I think it's so important to think about for investors and for clients is, is, is stopping and thinking about that. But you can, and that's why but it's also important that you, you ask the right questions to yourself of what does, a significant, what does a significant life look like to me? Stop and say, what are the, th what are the three most important things that, um, that are important to me, right? And I've seen different exercises where it says, you know, like do a, a mental exercise of look at it, it's, it's your funeral. And what do you want the people there to be saying about you? Like, what do they want to, what do you want to be remembered by? And using that can be a platform for starting to figure out 
what are my values? What are the things that are really important to me? And by doing that, you can start to realize, and, and, and by the way, we're talking about financial success and resources, but this is also, we talked about two valuable resources, your time and your money. Well, once you realize your values and what really is important to you, what you want to be remembered by, you can start putting all of your resources, both financial and non-financial in that direction. And like we said before, once you realize that you serve a higher purpose and you have a little bit of taste of what, how you feel when you've served a higher purpose, it's like a drug you don't want to quit. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's one of the most powerful aphrodisiacs in life that you can experience is to find a purpose that gives you a purpose that gives you fulfillment. And it's one of those things that, you know, you can't, you know, the old adage is when the teacher is ready, the student will appear. It's, you know, like 25 year old John would not have understood this, but going through these types of exercises can help open this light up so that people can actually understand what this means. And what they, when they realize once what this means, it really allows them to say, okay, that's what unlocking significance is. It's going through these exercises to talk about what do you truly value? You know, talking to the wife, what do you truly value with the husband? And then how do we find ways that you can both pursue that and then also pursue your life, that, those goals together? And so I think that's really the real power and why, what, what, you know, again, if it was just numbers, that, that excitement dies pretty quickly, even for someone who loves numbers like I do. But when you can help people towards those goals, that feel like they will leave, live a life of fulfillment and purpose, that the life would have mattered. To me, there's no greater high than that. There's no more sense of achievement for our clients and for us to serve our clients. And it comes back to asking the right questions. Like, what do you value? What, 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 what significance? How do you want to be remembered, right? Asking those certain questions. Like you mentioned, wealth is just a, a vehicle, which is wonderful. What are you going to do with it? How are we going to obviously, you know, distribute that? And, you know, is it legacy, whatever? Um, I'm, I want to get your perspective also, John, because I've known a lot of people that are at that level where, you know, their net worth is 100 million, 200, 400 million, whatever, or some that are listening that maybe just jumped over the million, $2 million, $3 million mark. And there is a difference between preservation versus growth. And like you mentioned, kind of the 70-30 split, right? So we understand these principles and we talk quite a bit, which is nice. Don't touch it when you're when you're in this. Sometimes the best is just to stand still and be fine and go take a walk, go golf, whatever, right? And then though, to keep that 70-30 split, some individuals, and I, I'm very aggressive in the way I invest, where I want growth, 100%, I'm young, I'm vibrant, let's make this explosive, right? But also that's a detriment of mine, right? I know that. And so I have to mitigate that loss or mitigate kind of certain boundaries to ensure that I have more preservation as well. So I'm just curious, John, when you guys are working through this conversation with each investor, and I know it all comes down to that person and developing a plan, et cetera, but just talking on preservation versus growth, do you guys adjust the the portfolio in a way where you guys focus on growth or you guys mainly focus on preservation what 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 is your opinion on that yeah christian i think it's an important question and that's what makes our job unique and also challenging and and rewarding is um and and makes investments fascinating is because the uh if we went down the street in your neighborhood christian and found christian 2.0 that lives a similar life to you their investment profile their willingness to take risk might be completely different from yours. Their financial goals are probably different than yours. And so in terms of managing risk versus reward, or, you know, and looking at that balance between you know, taking more risk versus being more conservative, it really comes down to the client about what their, and what their goals are, what they want to achieve. And you know, they talk about what's the optimal portfolio. 
for me, for me, unequivocally, the optimal portfolio for a client is the one that you can stay in uh, through thick and thin and through the downtimes, right? So I say, you know, and I use Six Flags as an analogy, which is kind of ironic because I haven't been to Six Flags in quite some time. But, you know, I, investing is like, is like riding a roller coaster um, that you can stay on all day. So, you know, for some investors, Christian, you know, you might do the Batman, right? That does all the loops, loop to loop, and, and, and you could love that all day long. Versus the next person shows up like, no, I'd lose my lunch on that ride about the second or third time. And I get off and I would never go back. I'm going to do the log flume, like the one of those little, you know, wooden boats that like go meanders around in the water. Like, like so that for that client, their perfect portfolio is a, a portfolio that's much more conservative um, because that's what they can stay in and ride. And the, they can ride that all day or for their, for their time horizon of their investment. And that ties into the other element, which is. It's not just about what, how much risk you want to take, Christian. It's about how much risk you can tolerate. And that gets at like risk tolerance versus risk capacity. So the analogy I use there is like, you can say, oh yeah, I want to go skydiving. I'll, I'll, I'm not afraid to go skydiving. But if the doctor says you will literally die because you have a medical condition, if you go skydiving, you have the risk tolerance for skydiving. You don't have the risk capacity for skydiving. And so it's really important to look at first and foremost is that risk capacity is like your governor. You can't exceed your risk capacity because otherwise you're going to do something. You're going to get out at the exact wrong time, right? You're going to sell on March 9th, 2009, the bottom of the great financial recession, or you're going to sell on March 23rd, 2020, when the, the market just bottomed, went by, down by 33% in a, in a month, and you're going to make the wrong decision because your, your, risk, your, your portfolio is not aligned with your risk capacity. So that's where those conversations is, first of all, what do you want to achieve? And then secondly is, how much, how much risk can you take that you can tolerate? And you can only tolerate risk on its worst day, right? So it's really trying to flush out, like, how did you feel on March 23rd, 2020? And were you able to stay invested? That can give me a great insight into how you'll respond. It, it's, not a, it's not a guarantee, but it's the best metric I can use to say, here's how you'll respond the next time we see a bear market or a market crash. I love what you said, and I don't think I've ever heard that difference, risk tolerance versus risk capacity. It says, hey, and I love that analogy, by the way. It's like, hey, yes, you can tolerate, you know, jumping out of the plane. However, though, if a doctor says, you you know, you'd literally die if you do, you can tolerate it, but it doesn't mean that you're capable of it, right? And I love that analogy. I really, really do, because just to share with my audience – what I do is I structure because I, again, I'm very risk. Uh, I love risk. I love growth, whatever, whatever. But I also understand that you can't like just spend everything in that portfolio because guess what? You have a chance, a high percentage of chance that you'll lose everything, which then you'll, you know, and, and I think Warren Buffett says rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't, don't, you know, follow, follow rule number one, right? Whatever that <laughs> saying is. And so I do like a 70, 20, and then 10% crazy investments. But the 10% is such a small amount, or I should say enough amount where it could really have an upside. But also if I have a downside, it's not going to wipe everything out. And, uh, but I would just want to get your perspective. I appreciate you explaining that that tolerance of capacity. I'm going to have to bring that up to my, my advisor. So <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that. Well, and Kristen, Go ahead. what you're talking about, what you're talking about for your portfolio is actually a beautiful point for our investors too, which is to say you have a cheat day in your portfolio, which is to say your 10% of your portfolio, you can kind of go do whatever you want. And that helps because in, in good investing in our view is long-term, low cost, low turnover, low, you know, low taxes, not what you earn is what you keep. Uh, it's like watching paint dry for most of it. Um, but we all know that it's fun. It's, you know, for a lot, it's fun to go to the casino. It's fun to, it's fun to own individual stocks, 
um, even though it may not be the best interest, right? And so the thing I've talked about is having a cheat day, which is say, you know, if you have a nutritional coach or a fitness coach, six days a week, you stay on the plan. Day seven, you can eat whatever you want because that will help you stay on plan for the other six days. Because if you just go seven days, eventually you're going to crash and say, I can't do this, right? I can't watch paint dry all day long. But if I can have a small percentage of my portfolio where I can make speculative investments and have a little bit of fun, it will help me stay on course for the rest of my portfolio. And whether that's 10%, whether it's 5%, where it's 2%, it really comes down to your own personal needs, your own personal uh, financial situation. But I love what you talked about is having that cheat day that kind of keeps you keeps your energy going, but doesn't let your energy self-sabotage your future financial goals. Well, you laid that out really nicely. And I've, I've seen some people play this out and I just find that so interesting where you do have that cheat day. I've never heard of it that way. I know you mentioned that before. And I thought I like that approach because it does help people like whether it's impact investing, whether it's something crazy, whether it's just, you know, I, I've had some individuals where it's just more of a learning opportunity where they want to learn. So they're going to invest and they're just going to, you know, it's, it's not sitting there like if it grows cool, if it doesn't cool, you know, but it's just more of that learning process as well. So uh, John, I really appreciate you being on here, man. And talking about this, this is so, so powerful and definitely with these uncertain times, people are, you know, psychologically, they try to find certainty. And sometimes they go for predictions, they go for those PhDs, they go for the people that are, you know, analysts, because they can say certain things, but they are not correct. But that overconfidence, and we have to be aware of that as investors, as, as people that are going out there deploying certain capital, and uh, just being aware of that from your experience and expertise. I really appreciate you being on here, man. And for those that are listening that want to be part of what you got going on, I know you're very active on LinkedIn, uh, but how else can they you know, engage with you and, and reach out to you, my man, and be part of uh, Mosaic Family Wealth, man? Yeah, so LinkedIn is a great uh, resource. Uh, you know, we do a podcast um, from success uh, to significance. Um, and, um, you know, from, um, and then also Mosaic, mosaicwealth.com. So looking at mosaicwealth.com, you can see some of my content. You know, one of my pieces out there talked about cryptocurrency earlier in March. We only touch on that piece, but that can be part of your cheat day, right? I wrote about that earlier this year. And then, you know, we talked a little bit about the media. I, you know, there's a piece out there about how financial media pulls the strings, which to your point, Christian, we seek certainty. Financial media, their sales pitches, like are like they're very confident. There is a certainty that they provide. Uh, but once you know you have the information that once you know that we're craving certainty and they try and provide it, you can actually stay above that and ask the right questions. So uh, mosaicwealth.com is a great place and great resource to find us as well as LinkedIn. Awesome. And guys, those links will be in the description. So I've got his website down there. I got his LinkedIn. Also, I got that podcast down there. So make sure you copy paste and put that in there and listen and consume uh, what he's got going on because he does have a lot of resources. He's been in this industry much longer than by a lot that are listening. And so he could obviously navigate this. Uh, man, John, I really appreciate this. You've been dropping some amazing bombs. Um, and I want to always ask my guests before I let you go fully, is there any last words of wisdom they'd like to share with our audience? Um, you know, I would just say, Christian, there's a lot of people talking about recessions right now, and we, we just, we can't, we can't know the future. Um, and, you know, Peter Lynch quoted, there's more loss, more money lost. We talk about corrections, but there's been more money lost preparing for and anticipating corrections or recessions than the correction or recession itself. And so when we know that, again, go back to the Fed or that the Wall Street, how, how often they're wrong, they can't know, is that you're going to see there's always a wall of worry we're going to climb, whether it's uh, the 2020 the uh, presidential elections or midterm elections or COVID um, or tariffs back in 2018, 2019, right? Um, inflation. There's always going to be a wall of worry that investors have to climb to give us a reason why. This is a reason why we should pull our money out. 
And it's important to know that will always be there. Um, and so it's important for clients to have that, that, that goalpost of sort of saying, what are the questions I should be asking myself? Does my plan still work? Does my plan include times like this? And if you can answer those right, if you ask the right questions and you have the right answers to that, then you can go on living your life of significance and tune out some of the noise. Or as we said, don't look so often. Well said. Well said. That is my friend, Chief Investment Officer at Mosaic Family Wealth, the only, only John Fisher. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Devon's podcast. Until next time, be uncommon if you can. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans, Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. We thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you feel and you know that this was valuable to you, please show some love to our amazing guest by liking this, by commenting on this, by making sure that you do a nice five-star review and just show some love to our guest. That'd be really awesome. Also, make sure you share this with a friend, a family, a colleague, someone that you believe would bring value to their life right now. Uh, and guys, we just want to say thank you again for just being part of our community. If you want to have more resources, don't be afraid. Go to christiandevans.com. You can actually schedule a phone call with me or you can send me an email at christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. That's christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. Always love to hear some feedback and let me know what is the number one or two things that you are struggling in your business and your life and we'll make sure we have those conversations. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Davis podcast. And until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Cheers.